Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm so excited to have Sherry on the show with me. Sherry, can you just tell me how you got introduced to the IFB movement and what your introduction was really like to that world? Yes. Thank you so much for having me on, Eric. I appreciate this opportunity so much. I was introduced into the IFB at the young, very tender age of 11 years old. I was a very fearful child and I was scared to death of dying and going to hell. And they focus in on that. They really talk. It's the, the preaching is hellfire and brimstone, right? <laughs> so I went from already being a very fearful, insecure child because we moved a lot when I was younger. And I didn't really ever have a lot of friends that lasted very long. Just a lot of insecurity in my life. And so... I, I was looking for something that was going to help me not be afraid. And my parents were Catholic. And then they wanted us in a Christian school because the public school was just not working out. And when you get into that, you get discounts if you're a member of the church and you go to the services faithfully and things like that. We were all in and some of the men of the church, after about a month or so of us being there and going to the Christian school, stopped by and invited us to some evangelistic meetings. And I was scared to death. They painted this picture of hell <laughs> that literally scared me to death. And then I'm also a very empathetic child, and they painted the picture of Jesus dying on the cross in such a way mm. for my sin that I was completely heartbroken that somebody would have to go through that on my behalf. So it was very much fear-based <laughs> how I got saved. And I really believe I'm saved and my family was saved. Our lives were turned upside down and truly changed from the inside out dramatically 
from that moment on. And so my start was shaky, but I never really, once I knew I was saved, I never doubted my salvation. So I, we immediately, it wasn't too much longer after I got saved at that Baptist church that we moved and I started going to a Christian school and I was in junior high and I don't know. I think that second church that we went to was probably, it wasn't so old school IFB. It was a lot um, more relaxed. The pastor was very charismatic, but very good. And it wasn't legalistic so much. I really feel feel like he gave me a really good foundation. But I had influences in my life that were very strict. And so I ended up at Fairhaven Baptist College. And I was the only one, I want to preface this by saying, I was the only one in my youth group who had already, like, I was the only one who didn't wear pants. And I was very careful about what music I listened to, but I don't specifically remember anybody saying I had to do those things. Um, Just kind of bought into it. Yeah, I was just more comfortable in skirts and... It just, what I heard about separation, I tended to be a Pharisee. And that's something I want to start out by saying that I think it's in all our human nature is to be Pharisaical. And so you want to live up to that. And in IFB, that is, that's what you're surrounded by. That is the nature of IFB. And also because I was so insecure I was a people pleaser. I didn't want to let people down. I didn't want to disappoint people. So I was always going the extra mile to be the good girl. And I was a good girl. Everybody saw me as that. And so long story short, I ended up at Fairhaven and it was like running into a brick wall. I did not know anything about that college really before I got there. I felt completely blindsided and Like it was just false advertising to when I got there, they basically are a Christian military school. I lived in Montana at the time. Fairhaven was in Indiana. My parents took me all the way there and they basically had time to drop me off and turn around and go home. So once I was there, I was stuck there. I didn't really have a choice. So I paid bill a lot of it up front because I had saved up so I wouldn't have to work while I was at college. And if I would have left, I would have lost all of that pretty much. So I was so homesick when I got there. And you're not al- allowed, nothing is ever allowed to be wrong within the IFB. So everybody's encouraging you, oh, we've got to be strong. This is where God has you. And you're not right with the Lord if you're upset about it. <laughs> if you leave, you're leaving God's will. Right. All these controlling things that as a people pleaser, I'm... <laughs> I want to conform. I don't want to let people down and I want to be seen as the good girl. And so you're just in this culture where everybody, staff and student alike are enforcing rules and everything within obeying the rules and obedience and honoring authority. And all of this is there. They have no authority. But they, but that's what they talk about all the time. And as young, impressionable kids, you don't have the tools to know that's not right. Even though something in your heart, the Holy Spirit in your heart is telling you something is not right about this. You go along with it. You go along to get along. 
Well, like you said, as a people pleaser too, it's just creating a checklist for you. If I do this, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that was easy for me. It was like, if I know what to expect, what I need to do, I can just do it. And then I don't have to guess. But at Fairhaven, you get the rule book the first day and they talk about how that's so misunderstood, but it's the unwritten rules within the IFB that really get you. So they're all of the unwritten rules couldn't be contained in a book. It's every time you turn around, somebody saying, oh, you can't do that, or you can't feel that way, or you can't think that, or you can't say that, or you have to have, you can't have that attitude. Everything is measured by their level of holiness, um, which isn't holiness at all. It's just conformity. So yeah, it was just... It was so hard. Honestly, the only good thing that came out of that was I met my husband. I mean, and that is all. (laughs) And I didn't make friends, but I actually stayed for three horrible semesters. And with each one, I got more legalistic and more judgmental and more intolerable. I don't know how my family and friends put up with me because I just bought in. Did anybody ever address it? Oh yeah, my sister, she was always calling me on it, saying, this is not okay. Who are you? This is not right. I can't believe that you're doing this. You've changed so much. And it really did put a rift in our relationship because I only have one sister. So we were Mm -hmm. very close. Yeah. And my mom and dad, they were just proud of me. They were very encouraging. They didn't want me to quit. They wanted me to stay and stick it out, but not in a bad way just because they loved me and they knew I could do it. And they really didn't know what I was going through. Didn't have a lot of time to talk and tell them what was going on. Sure. Yeah. I met my husband there and it was all, it wasn't anything big that happened to me that I could point to and say that's spiritual abuse. It was all the little things. It was this culture of abuse and control and coercion and manipulation I got demerits for having a sock between my mattress and the wall. And that's nothing. But when you add up all those little nothings, like your hangers not going the right way or all of your shoes not neatly put in the drawer, it's just this constant, you get to where you're living your life on eggshells constantly wondering if what you're going to get in trouble for next. And you had to have your life planned ahead for so long, at least 24 hours, you, we had to sign up for dinner 24 hours in advance. And if we didn't go and we were signed up, we got demerits, just dumb things like that. And the way that they shamed people who were overweight Hmm. and it just, all of it, there was no part of your life that was sacred. That was yours. No, no. So I know you said like, it's hard and it's a lot of little things. I think people who have, you know, grown up in that movement, understand where you're coming from. If you had to succinctly define, because spiritual abuse is a very, we were talking beforehand, it's a very subjective thing. Yes. And it's, it's one of those things like when it's happening, but it's hard to mm-hmm. sometimes say that's what it is. But if you had to like succinctly say like spiritual abuse is this, what would you define it as? Spiritual abuse is the use of scripture to control, manipulate, and coerce people to conform. 
And that, that is like the best way that I know how to put mm -hmm. what has happened to me as a woman within the IFB. I was always a leader in the churches that I've been in. And I've seen this, the word of God is weaponized. And it mm -hmm. is, it, the Bible says that it, sh it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And if you don't use it skillfully, you are going to wound people badly. And, and it is, it's just used as a, a weapon. Right. Now there's a, I'm looking it up right now, but there's a John Calvin quote that I always love where it's, oh, where is it? I'm going to find it. Oh, truth. It's truth without love is a sword in the hand of a lunatic. And I think there's a lot of times like it's people take these spiritual principles that could be good things. And then when it becomes this man-centered way, like you said, when they weaponize it to, to achieve their agenda or to model you after them, it gets very dangerous and you start using yes. something that is very sharp and dangerous and start using it incorrectly. One thing you'd mentioned beforehand, it's what I wanted to spend the bulk of our conversation talking about is, I guess it falls in line with the hurt people kind of thing. There's this idea of you go to a Bible college, you learn in a environment that's very spiritually abusive and those environments produce people who in turn can be very spiritually abusive toward others. You definitely said this was the case with you and your husband in the early years of kind of ministry and life. How did you apply those things and start feeling like you were the spiritual abuser as opposed to just being the spiritually abused? That's, you said it so well. The people that are spiritual abusers were spiritually abused. They, mm -hmm. they learned, they, the people that succeed and graduate and come away from these colleges and are still seen as good, have learned how to mimic the people at the top right. who are saying, this is how you have to be in order to be a good Christian. Right. But it's all conformity. It's all, it's not that inner transformation from the inside out. It's you have to, everything has to look right all the time. Everything right. has to seem like it's all good. And so it's the people that, have that image they're always happy and there's nothing wrong and they're going along with the program without having an attitude about it those are the people that they like and they reinforce that by giving you praise and saying wow you're doing really well and you're a leader you're a natural born leader and they stroke your ego and it's and this is what you learn how to do and my husband and I learned how to do this and it's not even a deliberate thing it's not like all of these people have this grand agenda mm -hmm. to be spiritually abusive and to hurt people but that's they don't see what's happened to them as legitimate hurt yeah they haven't been allowed to feel what has happened to them and i have yet to talk to anybody who has confronted me about leaving the IFB, hmm. who has not said, I too was hurt. I've been wounded within the church, but right. I'm still there. And I'm, yeah. Yes, but why? And, and it is because they have the Christianese down. They have the testimony down, the persona of what it is to be a good IFB Christian. Right. And and if you if they feel like you are not living up to that, they're going to call you on it and say, right. this is not who you are. It isn't this agenda. Hmm. It's just something that happens because you reap what you sow. Right. You just 
do. You reproduce in kind. So as Christians, we're out soul winning all of the time, and we're in chapel all of the time, and we're at church all of the time, and we think everybody else has to do that too. We're miserable, but we yeah. have to pretend that we're not. And so we recruit people. And it is, it's just like what Jesus says about the Pharisees, that you proselytize these people and you make them 10 times the child of hell that you are. It's just exchanging one form of bondage for another one, one that was very real for one that's not real, but it's self-inflicted in a way. And it's inflicted by other people who are supposed to love you. Right. Yeah. It, so it's sorry not to cut you off, but that's something no. I think about a lot with the show and it's where there's a lot of people in the, whatever you want to say, survivor community or X IFB community who get frustrated when you won't use the terminology toward everybody within the movement as being like yeah. cult leaders or fill in the blank. And one of my arguments has been, there's so many I know within that world who are the most well-intentioned people, like the absolute most well-intentioned people who were just taught by very unhelpful methodology or by teachers who I, I look at, I look at certain colleges and churches where the pastors were legitimately abusive and where some of them probably knew that they were, and I say probably definitely took advantage of systems for their own benefit. But then well-intentioned people who look to them as spiritual mentors are replicating all of their actions without understanding the bad motivations that were behind those. So that's why you have three generations down the line, a pastor Mm -hmm. who's being incredibly spiritually abusive, even though if you ask them what their goal was, it would be like, oh, I want to see their family do better. I want to see them be better. I want to see them get stronger, whatever word they want to use. And instead of helping, they end up doing a lot of damage because yes. they don't see it that way. Like you said, right. they, it's all Christianese. It's all, this is what right. we do. We power through. And this is mm-hmm. what the Christian life looks like. It uh, really is. It really is psychological and emotional abuse. And no. you, unless you are aware of that, that's what it is. You have no idea. Right. And it wasn't until we left the spiritually abusive church in 2014 that we recognized it as abuse. Like mm-hmm. we never would have called what we had gone through abuse before that. And it took a while for us to even accept that. That's a stretch. That's a lot. Yeah. It feels Until, almost like I can't say that. I don't want to be right. extreme about it, but exactly. You don't want it, to minimize abuse, right. like sexual abuse and things. And yeah, it, it, that's a hard thing for me because pain is non-quantifiable. Mm-hmm. Trauma is non-quantifiable. And it's so easy for somebody to say, oh, you don't understand what abuse is because you were just emotionally or just psychologically abused. But that can be even more insidious than physical abuse where there's actual proof that happened. Otherwise, you're just re-victimized and people say, oh, it's just because you're not a good enough Christian. You don't love the the Lord enough. Mm -hmm. And so you're what is, what is that verse that's always flung in our faces? Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing right. shall offend them. Right. Oh, we heard that so much when we left. So yeah, that's, it's just everything is guilting mm. and re-victimizing. And you don't know until your health breaks down and you can't cope with life anymore. And you realize that you're so broken that you don't feel like you'll ever be fixed again. Yeah. And you don't know why. And then you have to face it and you start healing. 
and you start naming what is actually going on, people gave names to what I had gone through and defined it for me. And that was really when I started to heal. And it's just acknowledging the pain that was inflicted on you. And it gives you compassion for your abusers, but also for people that you have hurt or that are still in it that you have no, it has nothing to do with you, but they're good people, like you said, and they're just in so much bondage. They mean, they think that what they are doing is right and everybody else is wrong. And they are so well-intentioned, but they are being abused and they don't know it because this form of abuse is normalized. Yeah. And it's not okay. It abuse is abuse and hurt is hurt. And yes, there are different degrees of that. But again, the pain and the trauma are non-quantifiable. It depends on the person and their history yeah. and even their relationship with the Lord to a certain degree to whether or not they're how the extent of their trauma. Yeah. No, it's I like that you say it's non-quantifiable, and that's something I found myself doing. Uh, Jesse Byer, I had on the show probably episode 30 or 40. And, mm-hmm. you know, she talks about that trauma. Yes. You're, you're, everyone experiences trauma differently. And there's people who yes. experience, you know, severe physical or sexual trauma who it does not affect them. If it doesn't, right. they're able to move forward from it. There's people mm-hmm. who have what on paper, if you put it next to it, would be a minor thing. And uh-huh. it, it has devastating ramifications on them, yes. but it's because everybody processes it differently. People remember uh-huh. things differently. And, and the other person I talked to was, I talk about her all the time because it was impactful for me, was talking with Claire Horner, who is a, uh-huh. she specialized in religious trauma, chatting with her. And I downplayed, was like, I don't want to call myself this. And I don't want to say I experienced trauma. And she just said, did it affect you? And I said, yes. She said, that's trauma. And so being able to sit there and work through it and feel that validation, and especially in IFB circles where for so long you're told that mental illness means you're not being spiritually strong enough, or Uh you don't have enough faith, or all of these different things, it's that validation is very important. Yes. So tell me a little bit about when you guys recognized maybe for the first time, oh, this is not healthy. Like where we're at is not healthy. And you mentioned a little bit beforehand, like how you try to fix that from within, but what was the process of, first of all, just coming to grips with, oh, this is not spiritually or mentally healthy for us? It's hard to pinpoint one, one specific time where we just knew it was a series of like the Lord gradually opening our eyes because you're taught to believe that whenever things aren't going well, it's because you're not right with the Lord. And so you internalize everything and everything is your fault. And my husband and I just couldn't do Fairhaven anymore. After a while, we were just sick of it. And I was, so I went home. But Fairhaven is such a calm environment. It's so so low stress. (laughs) Right. I was sick all the time. I always had a headache Mm -hmm. and I couldn't, I just, I lost the will to even try in my classes. I literally gave up the beginning of November and I like was so close to having straight A's, but I was like, forget it. I'm done. Just stick a fork in me. I'm done. I had actually just really met my husband. I had known him since I got there from a distance, but we actually met and went on our first date in October 
And that December I went home and he proposed in December and he kissed me and somebody found out. So when, and it was me, I told my friend (laughs) I shouldn't have. So when he got back, he was campused and that is a horrible thing. I know it just sounds dumb, but they make it as miserable as possible. And his story is so heartbreaking. I really want him to tell his story because I believe his is the most compelling of the two of us, but he's just not ready to do that yet. And I don't blame him. He still has a lot of healing to do. A lot of the pain that he's gone through is very fresh. Right. So he was actually kicked out because Mm -hmm. he had too many cut days. And it was at that point that he felt like, I can't do this. Forget it. My best is never going to be good enough because it isn't. They always raise the bar. Constantly, the bar is being raised. Right. And everything is just unattainable. So he left and we ended up getting married the following July. And the first seven years of our marriage were just hell on earth. I don't even know how else to describe it. It was so Between the two of you or because of outside pressure on the marriage? It was mostly between the two of us because he was so broken after that. He was, we were both called to the ministry. And what they teach about marriage at Fairhaven is just, it is horrific. (laughs) The roles of men and women. Can you expand on that a little bit? Like as far as their teaching? So they really believe that women are lesser Mm. and that we need spiritual authority and leadership of men. If we don't have our own autonomy, we don't have any authority of our own they completely do not acknowledge the priesthood of the believers, the Holy Spirit, and the life of a woman. Everything is about her being submissive and to her leadership, which is her dad and her pastor, and then later her husband and her pastor. So a woman is to always be under the leadership of a man because we're prone to deception. This is what they teach. And we are like, we're, my husband was taught from the time he was, I think, very young, that if he got into the ministry, his wife was probably going to be his downfall. So he had to be a good leader, a good spiritual leader, and keep his wife in line, or else she would be the cause of him losing the ministry. And that is what is taught. That is how marriage is taught. That is how things about men and women are taught, is that everything falls on the woman. They tell you that if your husband looks at pornography or cheats on you, it is on you as the woman because you are not giving him enough. The the wife bears the responsibility. If things are going well, oh, you're doing really good. If things are going bad, uh oh, you're not quite up to par. What do you have to change? Right. And, And nothing was ever addressed with the men. It's always how submissive are you? Are you honoring him? Are you respecting him? Because that's going to motivate him to love you. So you give him what he needs. And then when you earn it, you will get what you need. And only then. Well, you, you know, mentioned so things, the weight and everything. If you look yeah. a certain way, if you look up the yes. bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was a hard thing too. The whole thing of modesty before marriage and then throwing it all off after because there's this pressure to keep everything, to keep him from sin, but to keep him in line. And so he, he has this pressure to control you, to keep you in line, to conform. And you have this pressure to keep him in line and conform. And it's just this, you cannot have a happy marriage if, if you're, there's just that tension 
over everything being perfect all the time. And everything was not perfect because he wasn't going to church. He wasn't right with God. And so I had to keep up, up appearances. I had to go to church. I had to get the kids ready and I had to be there and I had to be serving. And it was just not okay. It was not right. And I did buy all in. I was like about six years in, I kept thinking it has to be me. I'm not submissive enough because all of this stuff is going wrong. It has to be me. And so I read Created to Be His Help Me by Debbie Pearl and a bunch of other books by Jack Scop and Cindy Scop and just so many authors. And all of it is do, you know, you have to do this. You have to look this way. You have to talk this way. You can, you have to always be sweet. You can't criticize him. Not one negative thought is allowed. And so I did, I submitted to him. And for a long time, we attributed us, our marriage being restored to me submitting to him because he didn't have anything, to, any resistance to push against anymore. And so he just fell flat on his face. But the problem with that is, was it wasn't that at all. Really what it was is I was just getting out of the way and I was loving him as he was, and I wasn't trying to change him. I was just letting him have his way on everything. And so naturally he felt indebted to me. Wow, she's trying so hard, she's doing so much, I need to do something. And he did get his heart and life right with the Lord, but it really had nothing to do with my submission, everything to do with me loving him well. And that was just the grace of God in the midst of a really horrible circumstance. So God did redeem it, and he got right with the Lord, but immediately we got into a church that was pastored by a Hiles Anderson grad. And, oh my word, <laughs> it was so horrible, constantly just screaming and hollering and saying, if you don't like it, there's the door, go start your own church, and just offending people right and left right. and just abrasiveness, callousness, nothing loving about it whatsoever. And that's what we're looking for is that really strong spiritual leadership when right. we've been away from the Lord, because we feel like that's what we need. We need an authority to tell us what to do and we need to check off all the boxes. No. We went there and then praise God, the Lord moved us to Wisconsin and we were in an IFB church. So the pastor of that church in Montana with the Hiles grad was very, co very overtly abusive. Like okay. he just didn't care about right. anything or anybody. But the church that we ended up in here in Wisconsin was the pastor was very covertly abusive. And he was a lot more quieter. manipulative. Yes. Okay. And dishonest. <laughs> that is the, the, yeah. That is the way I would describe him. And yeah, that whole situation was just so bad because we were all in and we were just so glad to not be being screamed and hollered at anymore that we were like, wow, this is amazing. God moved us across the country. We're in this amazing church where everybody, we love everybody. Right. We gave of our time, our money. Like we were there more than we were at home. We mm. lived there. We breathed that church. We loved those people with everything that was in us. And th that the thing, it was never enough. No matter what you did, you never gave enough. Right. You were never there enough. You just weren't ever enough. They kept right. raising the bar. So I was teaching a ladies Bible study and 
the pastor really saw me as a threat because I would call him on his garbage doctrine <laughs> during Sunday school. I could tell he was flying by the seat of his pants. He hadn't studied at all. And so he would say something that was blatantly wrong and everybody else would just sit there. So I'd raise my hand and I would say, what about this? And then he would feel like he was between a rock and a hard place when he didn't appreciate that. And I wasn't trying to make him look bad. I was asking honest questions. But again, it's really sad when you're more spiritually mature and more knowledgeable in the Bible and theology than your pastor is, especially if you're a woman. And there was a lot of like digs about, oh yeah, you should be the pastor or you make a really good preacher. And I was never allowed to use my spiritual gifts in these churches, mm-hmm. never. And I have the gift of prophecy, which is simply being able to encourage and comfort and um, inspire people using the word of God. And the, the gifts of God are non-gender specific. It doesn't say that only men can have pastoral gifts like the gift of prophecy. So some women do. And they're, the women who have the gift of prophecy, every single book that I've read about it has said that this gift is the one that women are most frustrated by because yeah. they're not allowed to use them. Yeah, there's no outlet for that. Right? No, women are to keep silent. And if you do speak, it has to be under the authority of a man, your husband and your pastor. They have to know what you're talking about. And they will call you into their office and anything that they don't agree with, even if they can't put their finger on it, (laughs) they're like, oh, I don't like this or whatever. And it was just, I had, I could only use my spiritual gift as they dictated. I could, I was not free. It, by any stretch of the imagination. And so it, that, it was really frustrating to me. And I think that's when I just gave up. It was in right. 2014 when we were realizing, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do this anymore. My, my health was failing. And yeah, and finally in 2014, 2013, in December, we left. And the only reason we stayed as long as we did was because we had family there. Sure. And because we felt like, oh, we don't want to leave because we don't want to hurt our kids. And a friend, actually, we counseled with three separate pastors, and all of them said, you are hurting your kids more by staying than you ever could by leaving. You cannot just keep going along with this, these lies and deceptions that the pastor is put, he was putting on me and not take a stand against it and say this is wrong. So the problem he had with me, he said I had a problem with men and with pastoral authority. And at the time, I would have denied it as the day is long because I didn't see it as abuse and I didn't see that I had a problem with that. I just had a problem with abuse of authority, but I didn't know that's what it was. Sure. Obviously, you tried to like raise the alarm while you were inside and ask questions and things. After Uh you left that church, did the two of you try to stay within the IFB still and try to keep reforming it or try to reform it? Or was it something where you just found yourself, what do we do now? So when we left, my husband just started preaching to us as a family. And because there wasn't a church around here really that we felt comfortable with, but also they believe that their church is the only good one, the only right one. And so they, he, this pastor made it a point to say everything bad about every other church in the area during the time that we were there. And so we just had a bad taste in our mouth for all of them. And we also just didn't want to be involved in a church like that anymore. So we just took a step back and acted like we, we just 
wanted to start with a clean slate and let the Lord really speak to us and say, okay, what do we really believe? And you want to forget what you think. And it was like, Lord, just show us who you really are. And so that was the beginning of our journey out for real. Yeah. And my husband was preaching to us and it was really so good. And people started hearing about it and more and more people kept joining us in our home until we outgrew it. And we had to start renting town halls and so I believe that started in April of 2014. And in October, okay. they voted my husband in as, as pastor of the church. Gotcha. So in this other church that we left, we experienced spiritual abuse in other churches that we had been in. It was always from the pulpit to the pew. But in this church, we were to experience spiritual abuse from the pew to the pulpit hmm. because my husband is not a really strong dictatorial leader at all. He wanted to honor what we felt hadn't been honored in us, and that is the Holy Spirit in people, letting the Holy Spirit lead them and say, you need to be here when the church doors are open. You need to do all the right things because it's the right thing, not because the pastor's telling you you have to. Right. He, Like I said, we just crave that... controlling leadership because that's what we're used to and when we don't have it people think something is wrong so we did yeah that was a fresh start for us Hmm. and we were just trying to fix what we felt was wrong with the ifb not realizing that was a losing battle i usually end every interview with asking do you think there's hope for reform of the movement itself and it sounds like you've given a good answer there but i guess i'll ask it this way is obviously it takes a lot of time to reconcile what happened takes a long time to put the pieces together. And I I think that's something that never stops. I think we're always trying to figure it out and piece things together from our experiences. Mm -hmm. But what's been the most helpful things when it comes to healing from spiritual abuse? Like what's been the most beneficial or helpful things that you've done maybe as a family or maybe individually to walk through that journey? That's an easy one. It is recognizing who you are in Christ, knowing who he is and who you are in him. And the freedom that you have in him. Mm. Really, the, the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And the Spirit of the Lord is in us. It's inside of us. And we are free <laughs> to follow him, whatever that looks like, without somebody from the outside in telling us, judging our conscience, saying, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to believe. This is how you have to think. Right. Um, that was a really hard thing for me because I stepped away from the IFB way before my husband did. And I was just like, I'm tired of not being able to be who God created me to be. I'm tired of it. And I don't care what I lose. I'm going to be true to who I am in Christ because he is everything to me. And I almost lost my marriage. We, I will just very quickly give a summation of the last six years. So we started that church and everything went well, but my husband found himself preaching to an empty church most of the time because people just weren't interested unless they were and it was their idea to be there, whatever. And I started to recover from a lot of the trauma and I changed so much. I went from this meek and mild, submissive, little quiet person to a very outspoken used not afraid to use my spiritual gift woman. I grew up in a very short amount of time into who Christ made me to be because I recognized who he is and who I am in him. And I wasn't afraid to be that. Mm -hmm. And people in these churches, they don't like that. 
you have to conform. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. It's dangerous for a woman to be free. It is yeah. dangerous for a woman to, to have an independent spirit and to walk with God without the leadership of her husband. And the pastor of the church that we left before we started the church that I had a problem with men in authority. And I came to recognize that you're right. I, I do. I have a problem with abusive men. I have a problem mm. with abusive authority. And I started to speak out on it. And in the process, God gave me my own home-based business that was a platform for me to minister mm. to other women within the IFB, pastor's wives and missionaries' wives specifically, who were who felt like they couldn't do anything. They wanted to write Bible study, write, write books or devotionals or do Bible studies. And their husbands would say, no, that this is something that the Holy Spirit was leading them to do. And their husbands would not allow them to do it. And they're like, what do you do? And uh, the perfect IFB wife would say, you submit and you let the Lord yeah. change their heart. But no, when the Lord tells you to do something, we are to obey God rather than man all the time, every time, no right. exceptions. And so I began to do that. And the men of the church, of course, rose up and said, you can't do that. And you need to sit down and you need to be quiet and you need to support your husband's ministry. I was called a feminist Jezebel who needed a spanking and they didn't want me influencing their wives and daughters. Right. All because I was telling them to obey the Lord, to know right. who they are and to live into that freedom that we have in Christ. Yeah, obviously things are in a better spot now. And you guys, yeah. it's, it is, it's tricky. Any kind of, I think we talked about it on a recent episode, but it's any time that there's a radical shift among one partner, mm -hmm. like it's very hard to sync up those two things. And I've been married for, let me see, it's 2020. So it's been like four years now, almost five. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it is, it's even in that short period of time, there's so many things where one person jumps ahead in this area. One person mm -hmm. is struggling, like usually I'm the one in the latter category, but when I, and it's, it is like, it can put a lot of strain when you feel like you're moving at different paces, but yes. it's always awesome when you can get to a point where you can catch up to each yes. other and have For common sure. ground. But no, I think that's awesome. I, what would you give it? I guess I'll end on this question because it's a little bit more tied into this, but what advice would you give to someone who is sitting there and maybe they're in that position where they're recognizing something's not quite healthy or something's not quite mm -hmm. right, but they're fearful to start thinking about it in the terms of being trauma or of being, you know, spiritually abusive. They're, they're in that spot you found yourself in so many years ago now. Mm -hmm. Like, what would you say to them as they're working through that? I would say don't wait to leave because clarity is found on the other side of stepping into that fear of everything. As long as you are there, your judgment, your conscience is going to be clouded by all the outside influences mm. from, because it's not just the pastor. It's that peer pressure of people mm. saying, this the is culture. how you need to be. Yes, it is a culture. It's a culture of abuse and coercion and manipulation and control. Mm. And you cannot think independently clearly until you're outside of that, because it's like not being able to see the forest for the trees. If you yeah. want to see clearly, you need to get yourself out of the picture and look back. You can always go back most of the time. Well, <laughs> you know, if you, if you, if you don't if you burn can't, the pictures. If you can't go back, 
it's more than likely a sign of <laughs> confirming what yes. you believe. That's one of the things, another person I name all the time, Stephen Hassan, oh. his, his book, Combating Cult Mind Control is like incredible. Oh, but one so of the good. things, yeah, one of the things he talks about though is that if you can't ask questions or if uh-huh. you're, if the love is conditional based on what you're saying or explaining. Yep. And the truth is, if you do step away for a period of time from a church or organization and you find out like, it's not them. They're not this uh-huh. way. I was incorrect. If it is truly a healthy organization, they're going to say, oh, welcome back. <laughs> they're not going to yes. say, now you're on the naughty list because you you stepped away for a while or you took time right. to think for yourself. Anywhere that questions are limited is a sign of an unhealthy environment. You Absolutely. Know, just in general. Yep. You can know who controls you by who you're not allowed to question. And for women, especially within the IFB, you're not allowed to question your pastor. You're not allowed to question your husband. You have to go along with that. And you know what? I have found that my faith is strengthened by my doubts Hmm. and my questions. That's where I get clarity. That's where I learn why I believe what I believe because of who Jesus is to me in that doubt and in those questions. But if you're in an environment where you can't have that because it's not spiritual enough, you're never, ever going, you're going to be stuck. You're just going to be stuck. That's awesome. Yeah. I I really appreciate you sharing kind of your story and and Mm -hmm. your perspective. And I I think that, I think it's good to get that clarity as far as like spiritual abuse. And we touch so much on physical abuse and mental abuse. And I think mental abuse and spiritual abuse and sexual abuse are often all three components of yes. every situation. But I, I just, yeah. I think it was cool to really dive into this. I think your definition of spiritual abuse was spot on. I think that, I think when you're using scripture in a weaponized way or any worldview in a weaponized way to make someone do what you want them to do, I think yes. you put yourself in a very precarious position. You put them in a, a precarious position as well. But, okay. but yeah, but yeah. thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Eric. Awesome. Okay. So you were saying just when we stopped recording, but I thought this was good, but you were saying that, you know, how women are often abused within the IFB. Can you just say that quote one more time? Sure. Yes. So a lot of times it seems like women are, are singled out and they're more abused than men. And, and in a way they are, there's men are free to be independent, to follow the Holy Spirit, to do all the things, and women are not. But men are taught within the IFB that in order to be a good man, in order to be truly a a man, they have to make everybody else fall in line. They are basically taught, they are abused, and they are taught to abuse women and children or their congregations or whoever in order to be considered a good leader, a good spiritual leader. So in my husband's case, he was my spiritual leader, but he was also responsible for this entire church. And he said that so many times he felt like he was just at sea. He was the captain of the ship and he had no motor, no wares, no, he's just out at sea and he's supposed to lead all these people to shore and he's got nothing because he isn't I don't know. He can't pull it out of thin air. I don't know, but he just did not feel adequate as a spiritual leader of our home or of the church because of what the idea of that is supposed to look like within the IFB. And it's just demoralizing. It's not, 
it's not right. It is so incredibly harmful to men. And of course, women, the women who have to live with them. Right. Yeah. It's creating abusers to basically abuse. And then you have women who are being yes. abused. And again, it goes back to what we we're talking about earlier is that then you have guys who are well-intentioned trying to be good husbands who are doing things that make them bad husbands or bad right. parents. And yes. it's a very... It's, it's a very slippery slope, which is very IFB of me to say it's slippery slope, but, <laughs> but, but it is. Now, I, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to get that because I think that's so important is that men are taught to be abusive and it's just disguised as spirituality. I thought that was a good point. But uh, yeah, I definitely need to get your, I definitely need to get your husband on. Obviously, whenever he's ready, I'd love mm-hmm. to, but I know it's a lot to sit down and talk through and like just mm-hmm. reopen that door. So yeah, anytime, just let me know and I'd love okay. to have him on. That sounds good. Thank you so much, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.